0: It's me, Simone Biles. You might be wondering why you're hearing my voice on a cybersecurity podcast ad. Well, it's because I'm partnering with Axonius. Whether you're a gymnast like me, or an IT, or security pro, complexity is inevitable. And I've learned that the key to success is focusing on what you can control. Go check out my video at axonius.com Simone. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com. Slash S-I-M-O-N-E. And we are back with another season of Hacker Valley Red, where we are exploring the nexus of offensive cybersecurity and humanity with a hacker's mindset. I'm one of your hosts. I'm Chris
1: Cochran. And I'm Ron Eddings. And this season, we're going to be exploring cybersecurity legends, people that have really put their heart and soul into this game of red teaming, offensive operations, and hacking. And we're going to be breaking it down and showing you all facets about cybersecurity legends. This episode, we've actually brought in a founding member of Offensive Cybersecurity. I'm super excited for this conversation. But first, let's talk a little bit about being
0: a pioneer. What does that really mean in cybersecurity? Really, the pioneers, the people that are stepping into the darkness, they're stepping into the unknown, they have no peers, and they are the ones that's going to illuminate everything for the rest of the world It's honestly a pretty scary place to be. But it's also very, very exciting. A lot of folks talk about zero to one and one to a 1000. That zero to one part can be the hardest part of any progression in any field, but especially in cybersecurity. So think about all of the folks That started all this stuff, the folks that were tinkering and playing around with computers before we even imagined what they could be on the Internet.
1: Yes, stepping into the unknown. When you think about the unknown and the pioneers, the legends, who is the first founding member, Mm -hmm. the first cybersecurity expert that you've ever heard of? You know,
0: what's so funny. I did something I think I was doing maybe my security plus or something like that. They spelled out the different types of attacks. And they said, the worm does X, Y, and Z. And the first worm was the Morris worm from Robert Morris. But I didn't really understand that story until I did my own research into what that story was all about. I just thought it was just some hacker that was just trying to do something funny. But really, if you look into the history of it, Robert Morris was actually the son of another computer scientist. A computer scientist was at the National Security Agency like we were. And this kid was in college and he devised a way that he said, I want to see if I can map the Internet. I want to see if I can connect to all these different computers. So he wrote this program. And what this program did is it went to your computer, and then it went to another adjacent computer. But the problem was that there wasn't a check in order to see if it was already infected. And if it was already infected, it would not run. But this will continue to run and reinfect. And it took down 10% of the computers in the world at that time. So there was a lot of money that had to go into fixing all of these computers. So when I think about like the really early stages, right? So that Morris worm became WannaCry, became all these other warmable attacks that we see today.
1: Right, exactly. You know, that's one of my first recollections of it, too, especially when I was in school learning about computer programming, they would always refer back to the Morse worm. And Mm -hmm. it actually inspired me to create my own exploits. I will be honest, I was a little destructive when I was a teen, Mm. I wanted to break into everything. And I actually got my start into cybersecurity because of AOL Instant Messenger. I was talking on chat with my friends, we would talk about sports, talk crap to each other, but we'd also talk crap to other people, and that was not the best idea because someone sent me their own rendition of a virus or a worm, and it started to mm-hmm. not only attack my computer but it started to propagate and spread around. Just so they created that persistence, it was almost like my mm. computer literally got a virus. It had this All right, <laughs> this virus. It was infested, exactly, and. It made me think about creating my own exploits, but not from the idea of going deep into C programming or assembly, but using someone else's program to my advantage, understanding how a program was built, looking at the source code and then saying, ah, they put this fix in the program to protect against too big of a buffer size. And I would just use people's programs against them instead of creating my own when I first started to get into this world of red teaming and exploitation.
0: I don't know if you remember uh, Bad Store, but Bad Store was a program that you could load up onto a server. And the server could be just the size of your laptop. It was basically a website that had every single issue you could think of. Like you could do SQL injection. You could do all sorts of different types of things to basically get information from the database or anything else. You could do cross-site scripting. All this cool stuff. And really, it was like the origin of the escape room because I was like, oh, man, it's so cool that you could go into this application and commit all of these crimes. Right. In a very safe <laughs> way. So you don't go to jail because, I, you know, I definitely don't want to go to jail. <laughs> but what I love about being able to play and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit when we talk. deviant who is the guest for this particular episode deviant is someone that i look up to in so many ways he is definitely a founding member on the red side when you're talking about physical pen testing you're talking about lock picking he's a part of tool he's a part of the core group where I used to be a part of a core group where we would break into places and we would teach other people at Black Hat, at Sands to break into places as well. But it really is all about mentality. It's all about a mindset when it comes to the red side. Sure, the tactics and techniques might be different. Picking a lock is much different than dropping a shell. But really, the mentality is all the same. It's the tinkering, the puzzle solving that I think that inspires everyone. When you pick a lock and the shackle opens, there's an endorphin rush. Yeah. When you see that terminal has connection to someone else's computer, an endorphin rush. I'm sure you felt that several times.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's nothing like it, especially when you are going to these new frontiers that we're talking about, when you're trying to discover something that no one has discovered before. In the case of me, I was trying to figure out how to teach people in the most simple way, how to look at a vulnerability, a CVE, and use that CVE to create an exploit. And Mm -hmm. for me to go through that process and to create my own exploit, you get that endorphin rush and it just feels so special.
0: It feels special and it makes you wanna do it again. It's that (laughs) brain reward mechanism. You're like, I wanna do this again. I wanna do this again. I've like seen some slick lock pickers. And I mean, these folks are just so good. It almost seems like they just put the picks in and then boom, it's open. It's like, what the heck? How did that even happen? But the same goes for folks on the red side of the house from a cybersecurity perspective. I love sitting in a CTF. And it's quiet and everyone's focused, and you just see the leaderboard just chicking up, and you see people just kind of get that jolt of energy whenever they do something. That's what's so inspiring because all these pioneers, all the folks that started the hacking, all the folks that created DEF CON, Dark Tangent, right? Some of the greats, the most monumental people in our space, they have led to thousands if not hundreds of thousands of people that have gotten into cybersecurity and have gotten into the red side, the offensive side. So with that, we're going to jump right to this interview with my good friend, Devian Ola. Thank you so much for having me. It's always good to be here. <laughs> it's always good to have you, brother. And one thing that I've loved about you is that even though you are like a founding father, at least in my eyes for cybersecurity and really on physical pen testing, You're still the most humble, relaxed, and empathetic guy I know. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today.
2: Yeah, so I'm Deviant Olaf, spelled not at all like it sounds, if anyone's trying to find me on the internet and figure out what you're saying. But I have been around. I've been around the hacker community for a while. The gray in my beard has come by proper like. So I used to show up back in ye olden times at hacker cons and such, when there weren't really separate tracks, we're talking single digit days of DEF CON and so forth. And this would be like, oh, someone's doing a talk, and then they'd be out in the hallway. Like they just, now that here's just spread my stuff out, here's, I put a Linux on a toaster or something. And it's like, <laughs> it's sitting out there in the hallway. Yep. So I was one of the people who was doing a lot with lock picking back around like, well, the very first ShmooCon, ShmooCon one, that was wow. my very first hacker con talk. And then at conferences in New York, the Hope Conferences, DEFCON, I would sort of like give a talk and then just spread out locks in the hallway and or by the pool at DEFCON, you know, sitting by the hot tub Mm -hmm. and just here handing out picks and stuff. And this is right around the days, really old heads of DEFCON will remember the Alexis Park Hotel. When that was kind of ending, the next property that DEFCON moved to was going to be the Riviera, which has also now been dynamited. Yep. But the Riviera had this conference floor with what were called skyboxes all up and around the And they said, man, we're going to get these skyboxes. We don't know what the hell to do with them. And they're like up this weird hallway, but they're really cool, but no one's going to go up there. So Russ Rogers and Dark Tangent, some others, they came up to me and they said, hey, that thing that you and some other people like do the lock picking stuff. And I wasn't the only one doing lockpicking. A lot of the Colorado crew was doing it. The whole 719 group would come in. And they were like, yeah, so Doc and Kai Goth and those people, they're going to start winding down. They want to just chill by the pool. This whole skybox idea. Do you think if you had space, could you make something happen? Because like that'll be a draw to get people upstairs on that level. And I said, yeah, let's do it. Let's talk. You could do that. Maybe you do some hardware hacking, talk to Joe Grand and other people. And that was the earliest days of what now a lot of cons have what are called villages, right? Yep. So that was the lockpick village. It was us. There was wireless village, which at the time, just as going back, it was just called Wi-Fi village. Like, let's <laughs> learn how to crack WEP. Like, you know, how yeah. much can you do? <laughs> yeah. Nowadays, there's tons of RF hackers doing amazing radio things. I mean, you know, you go to DEF CON now, there's like 20 villages. There's the cryptography village, there's the biohacking village, there's the car hacking village. So the origins of Lockpick Village was Jeff and Russ and others saying, how do we get hackers to come off the con floor and go to these upstairs skyboxes? So that was way back when, like DEFCON 14, 15. But I've been doing that ever since. I've been a part of Tool. Tool is the open organization of lockpickers. So we've been bringing that kind of content all around the country and around the world. And then I learned, as any young hacker kid eventually does, that money can be exchanged for goods and services. So you get yourself a legitimate job. You make a career out of what you love. And, of course, you know Babak Javadi very well. He's yeah. He's been around. Babak and I have had a company doing professional security consulting in the physical space for a very long time. And yeah. very, very lucky for all the literal doors of opportunity it's opened for us. Yeah, So tell us
0: a little bit more about the early days of utilizing the thing that you love to do and it taking up so much of your time. Was it the puzzle of the locks itself? Was
2: it the community? What was it that drew you to locks
0: specifically?
2: People like to legitimize their hobbies in a way to make it sound professional sometimes. They're like, well, I was a security researcher. It's like, no, you, you just like popping shells. Like, I wish you were doing that for Yep. So it's okay to be honest with ourselves and say, any time there's sort of a forbidden knowledge or a, ooh, I can look behind the curtains, I can see what you don't know I can see. That's a mentality that drives a lot of us when we're young and experimental. And for me, a lot of that, that was lock picking. I never saw it going somewhere for years. I just saw it as, hey, I can do this thing that you're not supposed to be able to do. I can open this lock even though I'm not stealing, like knowing like I could, like I could steal it's the same reason that a lot of kids do a lot of urban exploration in abandoned buildings. Maybe they fancy themselves like cat burglars or something like, look, I'm on the roof. Well, there's nothing right. up there to steal. You're not breaking into a diamond vault, but like, what if it right. was a diamond vault, Steve, could I could be, you know? Yeah. So, so just being able to play like that.
1: Are one of those keys behind you, the keys to Chris's house?
2: I mean, they could be right quick, right? I keep a, a large array of key blanks. Most of these are all really rare key blanks. They're not exactly the normal ones. So there are different manufacturers. Oh, here you go. So here's a block of locks, right? These are all different Schlage locks and Schlage has different keys in their key series. But what you can actually get are upper level keys in this tree and a key that might work some of these locks. Well, there's actually keys, keys on the wall there for different brands. It's like they work all the locks in the series. So, I mean, I have like the super top Schlage key, the super top best key, the super top sergeant key. If someone gives me a key and I say, Hey, can you copy this? I'm not sure which sergeant lock it is. I'm like, ah, oh, it doesn't freaking matter. Like, <laughs> I just here you go. It's going to fit on this one no matter what.
0: Yeah. I remember when I first started hanging out with you guys, I showed you my key house at the time. And obviously I don't live there anymore, but I definitely changed the locks after the code was like, one 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 two and you're like there's no way this is like a real key like get this out of your house like
2: asap do you remember that of course man of course and that still sort of happens to this day people will i love it when it's students in our class and yeah. we start telling them about how bidding works and how key and they go oh man and then at lunch someone will come up to you and be like hey don't show anyone else, but look at this look at this crazy key i'm like what is that I'm like it's my landlord's key He gave it to me I'm like, right. all right <laughs> Good job.
1: (laughs) So we titled this season cybersecurity legends. And Mm -hmm. I think like what you're saying is you don't really know what you're getting yourself into. You're just exploring a hobby. You're loving it. But now you've made it so far in your career. And it's a perfect opportunity for reflection. You have one of your pupils here. Chris was one of your pupils. I know that y'all go way back. When you reflect on just changing this whole industry, like creating this realm of physical penetration testing and really helping expand it so other people can also practice it. How does that make you feel inside? And like, what kind of thoughts and emotions come up?
2: I think who once was a student has now become the master. (laughs) But I do like that because as anyone who really knows, I mean, I'm not the first one who ever did this. What I like to think of my contributions has chiefly been of making it accessible and democratizing this knowledge. Mm -hmm. there's a lot of very private knowledge about security testing and awareness that wasn't being talked about. And for whatever reason, there's a number of industries that rely heavily on secrecy. They tell themselves that, well, if this knowledge were to fall into the wrong hands, and I mean, (laughs) what they're really doing is like, if this knowledge were to fall into our competitor's hands, (laughs) you know, there's a lot of guardedness there where industries just don't want competition. And I've never really believed that. I believe that security is a huge pie and the stakes are so high. It's far more important for me to have competitors trying to take a bite of that pie if it means that the customers and the public are getting serviced properly. Right. I mean, we, uh, just right now, I was sending an email before we jumped on, of somebody who said, my apartment building keeps getting broken into the front plaza, like the front little lobby door where all our mail is. There's somebody who keeps breaking in. We see them on camera. We don't know how they're bypassing the door. and there's far more good people in the world than bad people. You might see a story like that and think to yourself, man, that could be Deve's fault. He's been given lectures where what if a criminal watched that and now that's criminals using his techniques? Right. You could throw that stone at me. That could be true. Much as you could walk up to a martial arts dojo and say, what if somebody learns how to beat people up? They're going to go mug people. And the answer is, I mean, yeah, there's just crappy people in the world, but there's far more good people in the world than bad. And sharing this knowledge, the fact that the residents of this apartment building knew enough to say, hey, I saw you on YouTube, you talk about this stuff, can you help? And giving people, arming people with the ability to know there is a better way to understand why something could be violated and be broken. You're ultimately helping the world by exposing weird, strange stuff. And I think that's the right thing to do. I think that's my reward is every time someone says, hey, I saw that thing you did. I don't care if they're emailing me and saying, I saw that thing you did. Can I pay you some money? Or if they're emailing me and saying, hey, I saw the thing you did. And here's how we fixed it ourselves with like a hammer. Great. Mm. I didn't even have to come out there. All right. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you talk about making an
0: impact and you talk about making information digestible for folks. One of the best ways to do that is to write a book. You have a book, Practical Picking. I'm sure that was such a labor of love to put mm-hmm. all those images and put all of your thoughts about the world of lock picking and physical penetration testing into mm-hmm. something that you could just hand out to people. Like, hey, you want to know the basic levels of a lot of this stuff? Boom, here you go. Here's a book. Tell us a little bit about that journey of writing that book. Was it difficult for you or was it just super easy?
2: The hardest part was, I mean, I'm a really fast typist, but even then I was, it's all up here and you just want to get it out, get it out, get it out. It was like a funnel thresholding down into like a pipe and it was the throughput of just how much I wanted to get out. Yeah. I mean, I wrote that book in a few months. Mm. The images making all those do, new images right? oh, that yeah. was the best part because those really live on we use they those do. diagrams in our slides and trainings to this day they've been the basis of my animations and many other people's animations because I just put them all out open source right for Creative Commons anyone can use those diagrams and I love anyone listening if you have a some kind of cool idea or something you just think would be interesting, trap yourself into something where there's a deadline. I know it sounds counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. It sounds stressful. But my best work has always been done in the context of a forcing function. Right. I've had, I don't know, can we talk about guns for a second? Guns are kind of physical security. All right. So I've had so many gun parts kind of laying around that I've been like project ideas for this, project idea that. And then I found out in Florida, there is a gun match. It's actually, I'm leaving in two days for it. There's a gun match called the Gunmakers match where every entry has to be a home build mm. and you cannot be off the rack. And I said, All right, I'm going to sign up for this match. And now I have to finish building like X, Y, and Z. And now I'm really glad I did because Washington State changed their laws. So literally, I'm going to go shoot the match. And then I got to put all these guns in one of our offices or something out of state because Washington doesn't allow them oh. anymore. But wow. if I didn't do that, if I didn't set myself up with that forcing function, I would have been out. All of this money, all this investment, I would have been stuck. Like I'll set a talk, I'll submit a talk idea or I'll submit a training and I'll say, look, we are going to be the company that does the new RF based alarm system attack. We've got those hardware. We've got to turn it into a training. And sometimes the guys at RTA will be a little bit on my case. I'll be like, no, I put it on the calendar. I put it on the calendar for October. And like, why did you do that? You should have asked us. And I said, I did ask you. I asked you right now. It is how many months between now and October? If we can't get our act together between five months from now, we don't deserve to be running this training. I'm really pushing my views on others when I do that, right? But that's how I have to do it. Forcing function, shit or get off the pot, man.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is a principle. It's uh, Parkinson's law. It's like you commonly over anticipate the time. Like you're like, hey, I could finish this in three days. And then you wait to that very last day. And it really only takes you one day because you can complete what you said you're going to do in that amount of time. If you say you're going to clean your room in one hour, then it's going to take you one hour. Maybe it's just not as clean as you thought it was, but you are going to be done cleaning in one hour if that's all you give yourself. And it makes me think, right, you've been in this industry for quite some time. We all have The things that you knew back in the day when you first were getting started, if you were to teleport yourself 10 years ago to today, would you be successful? Would you be able to still break into buildings and locks? Have things changed is what I'm really asking.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So if I took my knowledge of today and back in time, or if the kid I was 10 years ago was, so if the 10 years ago me suddenly was dropped into this. Yes. Yes. I think I would be successful. I don't know if I'd be successful at this. I was successful because I looked at something that no one was doing yet and tried to turn that into my thing. What is the thing right now that no one's doing yet, but it's going to become big? I don't know. That's a younger man's question, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's harder today to do those things, to stand out, to
0: do things that other people aren't doing? Because our access to information is incredible compared to what it was 10, 15, 20 years ago. So do you think it's harder now because everybody's looking at pretty much everything it seems or so it seems. There it are seems those few something. like diamonds in a rough that no one's even looked at, but do you think it's harder today to stand out than it was back then?
2: I think it is harder. It's a paradox, right? Because with YouTube and Instagram and TikTok and all these places where people are suddenly trying to just make a name for themselves, we have more avenues to put yourself on display, to put yourself out there than ever before. But that means the audience is fragmented and is spread so thin. And I won't deny that it's a little bit frustrating how everything is gaming the algorithm. I couldn't have the channel that I have now. Like my channel just kind of grew organically over the years. Right. I don't know if any social media type outlet can grow organically anymore. Even the big ones. Mm-hmm. I love certain really big science and education YouTubers. You might know this, but the audience might be like, oh God, I've seen that. You'll get like a notification, like so-and-so has released a new video and you get the little thumbnail yep. and you watch it and you're like, oh, that's, that's educational. Ah, thumbs up, click. But then later on, when you're checking YouTube later in the day, you'll be like, wait, I, didn't I just watch their video? That, that looks different. And the thumbnail right. right. is different. And the title is different. Mm -hmm. Because what they're doing, all the big channels do this now. I don't have time for this. It's amazing that anyone does. But they will, for the first hour or two of releasing content, flip through a bunch of different thumbnails and a bunch of different ways of naming their title and watch in real time. Watch their analytics to see which one. It's like fishing for the algorithm. And when one takes off, they're like, all right, stick to that one. Stick to that one. Right. It's like A, C, D, E -E testing, basically. They do. Yeah. So. How a young up-and-coming voice could do that, I don't know. I don't know if it's feasible that way. Maybe that's why everyone's on different platforms now, like TikTok or something. Mm -hmm. Right. Dave, there's someone
0: that's listening that has heard your accolades, heard your story, heard your journey, and they're like, wow, it seems like it's a lot harder today to be a pioneer, to be a founder in this thing called cybersecurity, because it seems like there are more topics and pathways today than there were 10, 15, 20 years ago. What piece of advice would you have for the folks that want to make an impact in security and
2: technology and in our community today? Definitely listen to what the old head folk who are already around, listen to what they're frustrated at, but don't listen to them when you talk about, could you solve the problem this way or that way? In general, there are certain problems that are still frustrating the people and they haven't been solved yet. If you respond to that problem, you say, hey, what if you did this? The only thing that you're going to kill yourself on is get the word just out of your vocabulary. Mm. You talk to an old timer in the industry and you say, what still frustrates you? What's the perpetual problem that's still around? And they'll tell you this, well, we haven't really solved for how to implement blah, blah, blah cleanly. You think about it. You say, all right, there's still opportunity. Is that still a problem? And then start thinking about it in a way that doesn't use the word Just. Because every old head in the industry has heard some, well, if they just used quantum position magnets, no, (laughs) it can't just do that. It's been tried. You just sound dumb. (laughs) If if you could just do it, we would have done it and not have more (laughs) stock options somewhere. (laughs) But that's the thing, finding out what frustrates the people who've been around for a while. And you learn about that not usually in the big main stage talks. The main stage talks is nowadays, let's be honest. It's mostly people looking for new jobs and changing, like going from one company to the next. Right. It's like, hello, I work at Microsoft and I'm probably going to work at Tesla after this. It's, it's really quite simple. <laughs> See this amazing thing? Anyone who is me can do this. So right. yeah. But what you want is to go to those villages, to go to those small out-of-the-way places and smaller regional cons where you really get someone who says, this is this thing and no one's actually implemented this yet. Mm. Chew on that. Because you, the new voice coming up, who doesn't have all this ingrained baggage that we all have from being around it forever, you're going to be the one who comes up with the new thing. And if you pitch it the right way, which what's the word we don't use? The word is just. If you say, well, could we blah, 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 or I've thought about maybe this, that, or the other. Mm -hmm. And if someone doesn't immediately try to slam the door, you might be onto something there.
0: There you go. Make way for the new voices and the new minds. Deviant, thank you so much. As always, it's an honor to sit and chat with you. For the folks that want to stay up to date with you, your incredible content and everything you're doing for our community, what are the best ways that people can do that?
2: Yeah, we always joke it's Deviant Olaf spelled not like it sounds. It's Deviant spelled the right way. And Olaf is O-L-L-A-M, Deviant Olaf on Twitter, on Instagram, on YouTube, on GitHub, on probably something else out there. you search my name plus various strings of profanity, you'll probably find me.
1: <laughs> when we first met Deviant, I knew he was something special because you introduced me to him, so he already had credibility in my heart. But <laughs> just to see his confidence with lock picking, to see his confidence with being a teacher and articulating all the things that people should be mindful of, but also articulating the things that he's really, really good at. And mm-hmm. in this conversation that we had with them, it made me also realize everything is changing. Cybersecurity yeah. is not the same. It's not going to be lock picking as much anymore because we are at home. This is the world of digital transformation is happening right now. So we have to also talk about what is the future? What is the next frontier of cybersecurity? When you think of that, what comes to your mind?
0: Yeah, you're right. We're in this new phase of cybersecurity. There's new pioneers that are up and coming right now. Obviously, with everyone being home, there's probably not as many people doing physical pen testing. But I think it's going to come back, people are going to start returning to work, it's going to be more important. Honestly, it's going to be even more important, because we're going to be out of that muscle of making sure that people are who they say they are, making sure they have their badge. There's going to be a bit of a slow start. I think in the beginning when people start coming back. So making sure that we still dive back into physical pen testing. I'm sure there's going to be all sorts of new things there, but honestly the best thing I think that we're going to see going forward is offensive security in the cloud because now everything is so interconnected. If you think about a puzzle right when you're young, there's like a 10 piece puzzle, the pieces are very formed, so you know exactly where they need to go. But now look at a puzzle that has a million pieces. And that's what I think about when I think about the cloud. Now you gotta think about all the different connections, all the different attack surface that you need to be cognizant of as an individual, as a company, but this is giving a complete playground for folks that wanna be on the offensive side. Oh, this is connected to this. So that means that if it has this particular dependency, I might be able to use that to get access. There's going to be a lot of folks that are going to be really focused on the cloud, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, just imagine if you combine the cloud and physical pen testing, lock picking, mm-hmm. because a lot of the information that we use that used to be on our computers is now in a data center. Yep. And I'm sure that now with digital transformation, more people working remote, Just the threat of someone breaking into a physical data center or building, it's probably decreased a little bit at least. And Uh if someone were to combine the two to break into a data center, plug in, drop exploits all over the place, then to also take advantage of cloud configurations, that's really, I think, the next frontier for what we're going to see from criminals, and maybe even what we can see with the capability of red teamers and pen testers to really have that holistic view of security, not just the cyber aspects, but looking at security as a complete domain. When
0: we look at Deviant, he was such a good communicator as an instructor, as a friend, as a lock picker. And that's something that PlexTrack is trying to solve. They're trying to solve that communication problem, the context problem between the blue and the red teams. They have an application that's going to enable you to put all your information if you're on the red side or ingest all the information on the blue side so that you have a place that you can make sure that all of that hard work does not go unused. From your perspective, Ron, when you look at this, you look at communication, what is the most important aspect of communication when it comes to red
1: team information on the blue side? The most important aspect in my heart of hearts is just that, communication. I mean, it's very difficult to describe how to communicate, right? You need the right tools. You need the right opportunities to facilitate that communication. And that's exactly what PlexTrack does. It brings red teamers and blue teamers together. And it creates this color that we call purple. Purple is, Mm -hmm. you know, mixing those two elements together because it's one team and one fight. And that's exactly what PlexTrack does through their platform. And we would highly recommend for you to check them out. They are a sponsor of this episode, but they are also friends of Hacker Valley Check them out at plextrack.com forward slash hackervalley. That's P-L-E-X-T-R-A-C dot com forward slash hackervalley.
0: Absolutely. We have many more conversations upcoming with some of the legends on the red side of cybersecurity. I cannot wait to continue this journey to reunite the red side and the blue side and find
1: out about more legends. So that is what we are going to do. Stay tuned with us on Hacker Valley Red. Finish the season. We have additional seasons that we've done in the past. Highly recommend them. And if you want to stay up to date with Hacker Valley, the guests, Chris and myself, we have launched a Discord. You can check us out at HackerValley.com forward slash Discord. Join us in the server. Drop us a line and stay in touch. We'll see you all next time.